friends, welcome to another episode of Events Demystify podcast brought to you by Tree Fun Events. I'm your host, Anka, and with me on the show today, I have the very first Canadian event professional to become a certified digital event strategist. Her name is Mahogany Jones. She's a CMP, DS, HMCC, founder of Event Specialist, and she has been building and managing full-service events since 2004, virtual and hybrid events since 2008. After 17 plus years working in events, she still wakes up each day with a real love and passion for events, which is fantastic because I love talking to people that are passionate about something and events is what we have in common. So that's going to be fantastic. She was fortunate to work with major Canadian private brands, trade associations, helping them plan and execute corporate events that have had a huge impact. Let's welcome to our show a Canadian Preston, lover of poutine, poutine, okay, I must confess, I had to Google it because I did not know what that food item really was and I'm certainly not able to pronounce it as you can tell, so I'll probably just have mahogany, you know, give us a little bit of background on what exactly is that I'm trying to say, poutine? A little Putin. It's the French Welcome to the show, Mahogany. I knew I was going to like totally like mess that word up. I mean, for the love of all things yummy and holy, please do tell our audience <laughs> what is this dish and why are you so passionate about it? Well, here in Canada, we have a beautiful dish called Putin. And Putin and a true Putin is French fries, cheese curds, and gravy. And for those just... of you who have non cheese curds, it's not truly a poutine. So you just like put it all together. It's served hot, probably oh, not absolutely. cold. Definitely hot. Definitely hot. Okay, I must try it. I've never had it ever. I'm going to have to probably, once we're done recording, you know, go and do my version of <laughs> You'll have to come for a Canadian poutine. You'll have to come visit so we can take you for lunch. (laughs) I'll take you up on that offer. I mean, it's around lunchtime right now and it's already making me hungry. So maybe I should stay away from anything that has to do with food. And instead, let's turn the attention towards you, Mahogany. Would you give our audience, in so many words, a little bit of background on how you started an event and what keeps you up at night? So my event journey kind of began as a volunteer in my high school days, to be honest with you. It was one of my very first jobs, my first real summer job for the St. John Regional Hospital. I was actually on the office team that was helping to do their 24-hour relay for raising money towards equipment for the hospital. And being a part of that team and also being able to volunteer for different events, it really got me thinking with how are they putting this event together? I know I get to wear this really cute elf costume for for the Christmas events, but what are all the details that go into play. How did we raise that million dollars for the event? And that's when I really started to ask questions and really started to see that this could be a career. Because truth be told, I thought it was just a job to pay for school, not necessarily a career. My original goal was to become a a doctor and I was convinced I was going to be a world-renowned pediatric oncologist, but then discovered the world of events. That's fantastic. I mean, you don't meet a lot of people out there that started on their path to become doctors and then they become event technology 
technologists and producers and all things related to events. What made you change your mind? Just curious. I did start my undergrad with a kinesiology degree. And even throughout my education, as much as I love science, don't get me wrong, I still love science. I love to help people. The event world kept calling me back. So it was what paid for school. It is what allowed me to actually get a glimpse into different industries. I had the privilege of planning educational trade show for the hospitality industry um, during my school days and realized that I had absolutely loved putting those things together and the celebrations together more so than understanding the body and the anatomy. So to me, it kind of blended together when I was able to start planning medical education conferences and understanding the research side and being able to add and have a little bit more understanding from a science perspective of what was actually happening and also be fascinated by the event we're putting together. I love it. It kind of reminds me that at one point sometime in the beginning of my career, when I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do, especially after I moved to US from Europe, I started on this path to become a dentist. <laughs> Somewhere half the way, I was like, there's no way. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking because I cannot even like stand still in, during an appointment, <laughs> let alone work, you know, as a dentist. Anyway, totally like off topic here. But hey, here's a icebreaker question for you. I don't know if I should call it icebreaker, but really it's something that I'm super interested to find out because, you know, we've all worked with interesting, for lack of a better word, quirky, borderline, from another dimension type of clients. So what? What has been one of the weirdest things a client has asked you to do or produce during an event? I feel like because I have that personality that allows you to do random things that there are a lot of random things. I will say one of the, I won't say it's quirky. It's definitely different and I was not expecting it. I had the privilege of working with the Canadian Ophthalmological Society back in the day. And I remember the first order to order eyeballs for the conference. And I remember thinking, they're cold, it has to go in the fridge, so the chef will have to put that. And then there was also a a live workshop where they had cadaver heads that they were doing surgery on as part of the training. I remember at first, my first thought was, this is true hands-on training, so let's make make sure it's happening as it's supposed to. But then I also learned a different side of medical conferences and how they honor the bodies of those that they are using for science. And I thought that was uh, was actually it was very quirky and nerve wracking because I wanted to be sure I was honoring those who had given their yeah. bodies to science and that we were properly handling their bodies and also making sure that our physicians were able to get the education that they needed. So. Absolutely. This reminds me of a, actually, now that I think about it, we had a live stream for internal a live stream. So this was before like, you know, virtual events became virtual events mm-hmm. for uh, OHSU, which is a huge medical organization in Portland, Oregon. And we needed to stream a surgical procedure, a live mm-hmm. surgical procedure. And I remember one of my camera guys fainting. <laughs> <laughs> Having to have backups (laughs) because it's not something that a lot of people see and do. Mm -hmm. So in your instance, you know, having to not just uh, work with, but honor and then be comfortable doing that. That's definitely something worth mentioning. (laughs) So here's another fun question for you before we get into the meat of our conversation. We've all been through crazy events and we've done some events that have certainly taught us some lessons. So what is one of the most vulnerable or humbling experience? 
experiences that you've gone through during an event that made you even stronger in your current abilities and expertise? That's a really great question. I feel like the last 18 months has challenged me, just like the rest of us in the industry. I said, we've definitely been challenged. I will say there's definitely been a silver lining. Collaborations have opened up, more opportunities to meet people, and the opportunity to work globally has also been presented. I will say the biggest humbling moments for me has been in conversations with clients where the panic is around what are we supposed to do versus what can we do? And I feel feel like everyone went into panic mode of, oh my gosh, how can I save this event? And my first thought is, well, do we actually have to have your event? Not how do we save it? And I was more than annoyed by the amount of people that were really focused on moving your in-person event to virtual versus reimagining what your event can look like in a virtual space. Not everything is meant to be one in one. I mean, I can see it even from a designer and a producer standpoint when I'm looking at programs that not everything will translate appropriately. And then also held back. I mean, I held back easy for, I'd say six to eight months without giving true, and I don't want to say held back in a bad way, but I really didn't want to vocalize that the broadcast quality that you're putting out there was terrible in person. It's not going to be great on virtual when you're not putting the care into your content and it's not going to magically recreate and bring interest to a dying conference. It's not going to save you. Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like it was a chance to reimagine and also step back and remember that we do have the knowledge and the skills and it is okay for me as event producer to speak up. Absolutely. I can certainly relate with the sentiment and some of those uh, thoughts expressed. Since now we got warmed up and we can get now into the meat of our conversation, going to this virtual and now hybrid proper event experience, what are your thoughts on what that should and could look like? I will say moving forward, the word hybrid may not actually be the word that we actually need to use versus the in-person and the virtual experiences that we are designing. I mentioned before, not everything has to be a one-in-one. And I feel like this time has allowed us to redesign and reimagine what the in-person elements of a hybrid event could be and allowing us to have that as a almost a VIP experience. Like the micro experience is coming back. I feel like our hub and spoke model is coming back. They're all things that existed pre-pandemic that were almost being forced into producing. So I feel like really redesigning for our audience and really going back to those core goals and objectives will allow us to design the right type of hybrid experience that we're looking to have. Now, There is a lot of event professionals in the industry that are very much scared that hybrid event experience will cannibalize basically their front door ticket sales. Do you think that this is something that we will be doing for years to come, like forever, basically? I feel like it's here to stay. I mean, I personally was always a fan of the hybrid model. I mean, the opportunity to extend your reach, to showcase what you do well, opportunities to monetize always existed from hybrid. I feel like this fear that hybrid events or having a virtual component will cannibalize what we're doing. Stats have shown year over year, over a year, even pre-pandemic, that it doesn't actually take away from your in-person audience or the event that you've created. It actually adds value and it adds new opportunities to grow that current event, expanding your audience to what I would call like the, the hidden audience, the audience you didn't actually know was there. Or you didn't even know that you had. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, as companies and associations are looking to extend their meetings to this 
audience that they didn't know they had in the first place. Event planners, I feel like now more than ever, do require the tools and the knowledge to plan and produce for both in-person and online audiences. What is your advice for an event planner that is struggling to add value and monetize their hybrid meeting or event or whatever that might be? Absolutely. I feel like data and arming yourself with what you want to see that you can present to your C-suite, that you can present to your client or whomever that looks like, really arm yourself with what your vision should be and then stack what you need against that. And whether that is calling on other industry friends, don't be afraid to lean on suppliers like your AV suppliers who've been doing this for years. Don't be afraid to ask your fellow colleagues. I mean, we're in the industry as well. You can reach out to all of us. Be mindful of what it is you want to see. I often recommend to start small. And I know, unfortunately, that isn't always an option for a lot of our event professionals that are told we have to go hybrid and we have to completely stream the full conference content to the virtual audience. My advice to them, again, start small, start with what you do well. If it's the keynotes that are always well done, then that is what gets streamed. If you're not sure what content can be streamed, have a conversation with your streaming partner to see how you can leverage that. See how they can support your buy-in from your team so that everyone is on the same page. And again, present your own plan. I mean, I say that the nicest way possible. I feel like we're always sending out RFPs and panic, but you as planner, as the owner of the event, I strongly encourage to lean into what you see and present that idea. I know we don't always get to run with that idea, but at least starting there will give you a point of reference for you to build on. So with that in mind, then what are some planning when you're planning an event? What are some of the most important KPIs to keep in mind and considerations around this event? One thing I have to say, and I know I'll get my <laughs> slapped on, Slap the, on the head. <laughs> oh, it's coming. But one of the biggest metrics that I struggle with is the attendee metric. I know everyone says we have to have the number of attendees and that's our goal. A lot of the platform um, mm-hmm. prices are dependent. Is this registration on- or is it actually visually how many eyes on the screen? Exactly. So I feel like that is where the confusion comes into KPIs, these vanity metrics that say we have 10,000 people registered to a conference, but yet we have 5,000 people who show up. Which number is the number that we're looking to celebrate? I feel like true KPIs to understand are really, again, goes back to goals and metrics of the event. Brand awareness events, I feel like, have a little bit more flexibility in that we need more people, more bums and seats versus necessarily what they're converting to. So depending on what your goals are, I feel like that should be where we focus our KPIs. If we're looking to, for educational conferences, which sessions were the most attended, longest views, most reviews, all of those types of things become metrics that mean more towards helping us reach those goals versus saying, well, we had 10,000 people register, which is more than the 5,000 people who came in person. So I feel like really being mindful of how you're using your data and what that data could be. Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan 
Fun Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. Absolutely. And making that work for your event and align with your goals, like you said. Let's turn the question around for, say, an experience that I'm sure many of us have had, but not a lot of us want to talk about. What are your a few takeaways or lessons learned from, say, a virtual or a hybrid event even, where in spite of all the thoughtful planning and all the technical rehearsals <laughs> and all the time spent into it, it turned out to be some sort of a fail for one reason or another. I feel like we have to be prepared. I mean, event planner rule number 722, <laughs> be prepared for the unexpected. I mean, how many times have, even in the in-person scenario, how many times have we done a full setup, a full rehearsal, and the day of, for some reason, the projector didn't work, the slides didn't advance, the sound didn't change, the song didn't come on. I feel like those are types of things. I heard actually a colleague say last week that we love technology, but technology isn't magic. So it does still have to work. And there are still idiosyncrasies that may change it to not work. I mean, I feel like we've all been there. We've all had streams go down. We've all had all of these things. It's really in how you react to those situations that make it worthwhile. In the virtual space, I feel like it's a little bit more forgiving if the whole conference doesn't go down, a little bit more forgiving if you're prepared with your backup plans. Can you play a loop in a spot that was supposed to have a pre-recorded session? Prep your speakers so that if something does happen and you have to switch and things can't happen. I know we had a conference last week where our stream account cut off and we were only broadcasting four of the six concurrent sessions. And we had to tell the speakers, well, let us run the session as though we're live. And we actually just re-recorded them as though they were live. And then we were able to put the video available later for the attendees. But it's really being able to think on your feet, be prepared and have your backup plan. In my experience, sometimes, you know, when you're streaming to certain uh, event platforms and you're pushing a live stream mm -hmm. and for some reason it just does not latch onto the platform. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it just fails, has many reasons why that might be happening. Actually, one time I remember we had a problem with Vimeo. Some servers were <laughs> on fire somewhere in some crazy, you know, <laughs> part of the US. And you're like, what? This is Vimeo. What do you mean your servers are on fire? You know, anyway. And going back to the technology and the tools that we have at hand now, having some sort of a contingency planning is the biggest uh, takeaways there. Because I mean, again, if you have done events, virtual events in the last 18 months, and you're telling me that you've never had one event that has had some sort of an issue, I doubt that you have done events in the last <laughs> 18 months. <laughs> In your experience, though, with planning hybrid events, virtual events and hybrid, and I keep saying hybrid because, you know, yes, we've done all these virtual events and somewhat somewhere we're going to transition back to in person, although, you know, there's definitely a lot of conversation around that, how that will happen and the timing of it. When it comes to planning hybrid events going forward, and if you've planned any hybrid events in the last few months, I know I've started my first hybrid was in March this year, which was oh, wow. kind of early, you know, again, I feel like we 
where we are right now in Idaho, we sometimes are on a different planet and things work differently, but that's a different story. So what has been in your experience, the cost ramifications of a hybrid event production compared to a in-person production cost of a like comparable total number of attendees, if there's, you know, some reference or some idea. And I know those are uh, maybe your experience, you know, it would probably be more of a Canadian flavor, but just in general, you know, if you had any uh, advice uh, for event planners that they don't yet know what to expect when it comes to that. And even the idea of like having a budget line somewhere, you know, in your budget to cover that expense, it's a sensitive subject. Absolutely. I feel like for us here in Canada, part of it is, I mean, being in the Toronto area, the hybrid events we've been able to have are literally only the speakers and in person and staff, to be fair. Um, our American clients, on the other hand, we have been able to have hybrid events and host those for the last few months. I will say some of the biggest misconceptions is that it's immediately a double budget. I really want to encourage planners to review a budget the same way you would review any other event budget and have a look at the line items. Yes, your technology line item may be higher based on how many streams you're sending out, how many rooms you're broadcasting from. All of those things come into play. But remember to look at your budget, in my opinion, holistically to look at it from your venue. Your venue is now your in-person venue and your virtual event platform. Those are two different venues. You have to have a line item for those. For broadcasting, obviously, we want to make sure that our stage and lighting and sound is great in person to allow your online audience to enjoy the experience the same way. And with that comes ensuring you have the right items from your AV team in person. But it doesn't mean you can't maneuver budgets. Yes, internet will cost a fortune depending on state, province, country, where you are. So keep that in mind. Can that be sponsored the same way you would have considered all of those opportunities in the in-person world, you're going to consider that. Try to remember that, in my opinion, I, I honestly feel like the hybrid budget is just a holistic budget. Yes, we do have additional items to consider, but I, I don't want that to be the deterring factor. Yes, we have to be mindful that food in person is now costing more. We are seeing that in a lot of different cities and states and provinces. We are seeing that increase. So being mindful that having 100 people in person may actually cost you the same as it would have cost you for 250 people in person for social distancing, for food costs and all of the equipment that is now shortage up. in labor that's one thing that i it. see like running into quite often where we're at right now yeah absolutely the shortage is um it's disheartening to see sometimes but it's also something that we we will have to embrace and understand and even like shortage in talent and professional support like you mentioned you know for av teams AV and production sure. teams i was working on uh, rfp for a conference and one of the major hurdles was the fact that the venue we were going to be at, they were shut down for That's pretty it. much most of the 18 months that we've been doing virtual events, but they were shut down because mm -hmm. of all the state regulations and all the things that they had to go through, a larger venue. And there was no AV department at all. <laughs> so we are building this event on the hope that in a few months time, they're going to gather a crew, AV support team to mm -hmm. support the event, which just the idea made my skin crawling. I'm like, oh yeah, no, you're going to have 
to get some outside, you know, outsource AV provider, but that brought to forefront the challenges that a lot of venues and a lot of event planners have faced in this new reality right. of events. Now, you have been involved with the future of virtual and hybrid events. It's something that I wanted to touch on because you've had a few opinions about that. And <laughs> I want to bring it into perspective because of the, all the challenges that our industry has been facing. And we are still facing now Absolutely. that we're, you know, ending 2021. Would you share some tips, tricks and tools, anything that comes to mind that would help event planners and professionals prepare for what's to come and thrive in the future of event and meeting planning, whatever that might look like? Risk management, I feel like is part of our roles now as planners. The writing is on the wall. We are seeing changes in regulations by the week, by the month, and by the city, state, province. So being mindful of your local regulations, being tapped into your local CVBs and things like that, I feel like is a huge in understanding what's kind of coming down the pipeline. Are regulations changing? Is there a new cap that is going to come out to stop our attendance? And really being open to learning and understanding from a risk management perspective. I also believe in being two steps ahead in the planning and going ahead and plan as you would for what you want to see. Yes, you can put a contingency plan on that if you're going to be hybrid, if the numbers decrease and all of a sudden you can't do that, then you're prepared for that. If you have the opportunity to go fully virtual, you at least already still have the content. You've already done your work because I have seen planners ask, when do we start planning? If we don't know for the future, my biggest recommendation is start planning as though it is going to happen. I hate to say we don't want to do double work and all of those things, but you also don't want to be ill-prepared. Yeah. And last minute oh. ill-preparations is certainly not the definition of a successful event. No. Not in my experience. Maybe some people can pull, you know, magic out of the hat. I don't know. <laughs> We've heard horror stories from our colleagues and friends who were not part of the planning process. And then all of a sudden C-suite board decides, yes, we're going virtual and we're going hybrid and it's happening in 30 days. Like being prepared yourself is helpful, especially if you're in-house and you know things are coming down the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is what's coming down the pipeline now that we, uh, he mentioned that, what would you say is the percentage of in-person slash virtual to virtual uh, ratio for the things that you're working on where you're at right now? Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I have colleagues who are doing more hybrid, primarily our, to be honest, our team, we're primarily focused on virtual. That is what uh, our team has been working on. We do have hybrid events coming up and we have produced a couple of hybrid this month. They're not full hybrid. There are not large audiences. An event we're producing this week as a hybrid is a hybrid in the sense that everyone speaking, presenting, sponsors, they're in person, but all of the audience is online. So yeah. it's a hard one. It depends really on where you are, regulations yeah. and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Any other, you know, last tips, remarks, thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience before we come to our last question of the day? Absolutely. Hybrid has been here 
for years. The gaming industry, the sporting industry, the medical industry have done hybrid well for years. Don't be afraid to look to research and data and other things to see how you can maximize your own hybrid events. And don't be afraid to say, we don't want to call it hybrid. You don't have to call it a hybrid. Design the experience that you want to design for your attendees, one that they will appreciate. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Yes, we've been in this for 18 months. Yes, the event technologist role is new. Yes, us event producers are all of a sudden running switchers and all the good stuff and <laughs> learning all of these new things. But it doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions to friends, colleagues, suppliers and dig into it. Embrace it. But don't be afraid to ask those questions. It doesn't mean you're failing as a planner. We were planners before the pandemic, exceptional project managers before the pandemic, and we are still exceptional planners after the pandemic. Amazing, insightful tips. Anything that we haven't touched on? How we both have beautiful red lipstick on today. Oh, I, like I know, I know. Like, we had to. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to come on camera, might as well have that lipstick on. But here's one last question, Mahogany. It's something that I feel like it's so important and it has to be mentioned. It has to be talked about. We've all been through so much. What is maybe some of the tips that you can give our audience or some of your personal strategies to keep yourself in a healthy mental state and space, especially during a challenging time? I have to be honest with you. I definitely did not protect my own mental health. My focus was literally on supporting everyone and anyone. How can I keep everyone employed? How can I keep salaries? All of that became my focus. Even before taking care of myself, I did have resentment, I will say, easy for 12 months of I didn't get a COVID break. And the success remorse that we were feeling, I have to say, don't be afraid to have the conversations. Don't be afraid to reach out to colleagues. I know I have a few planner colleagues that I call and I say, I am not doing well today. And we have to be okay with not being okay. I know that sounds very cliche, but I went easy. I'd say easy 10 months before I even said I'm not okay to anyone. Yes, the children's seen it. <laughs> My husband's seen it because we were on lockdown together during this time. But I didn't want my colleagues and friends who had lost their full books of business to be burdened by the fact that I didn't miss a beat. Our company is continuing to grow. And it almost felt wrong to say that I'm not okay to someone who is in a different boat and struggling in a different way. But truth be told, we have each other. There are others who are also in true flourishing mode. But again, reaching out to others, taking time for yourself, also guilty of not doing that, but taking time for yourself to really regroup and rethink, allowing yourself to pause and reflect. Thank you so much for your tips and advice and insightful thoughts on so many things today, Mahogany. I can tell that you've been through a few things. <laughs> <laughs> and you learn some lessons when you go through things. And one of the things that stands out to me is resilience. You know, mm -hmm. it's that resilient desire to keep on going, be strong for the people that matter to you and yeah. are closest to you. And then not forgetting about yourself, to put yourself yeah. in the same category because, Absolutely. you know, just giving and giving at one point, you're going to empty your tank. <laughs> There's not going to be anything left. And I can identify with like just going 100 miles 
one hour and forgetting that actually I also need to take a break from yes. time to time. Thank you so much for this time together that we've had and the conversation that it was delightful. And I am excited that we got to do this. I'm excited that you got some time off in the craziness of the swing <laughs> of events. I hope our audience enjoyed the conversation as well. Where can our audience find you if they would like to learn more about you for whoever wants to reach out? Absolutely. You can always find me on LinkedIn. That's probably your easiest bet to catch up. Mahogany Jones there, Mahogany Jones on Twitter. And then you can also find us at eventspecialist.ca. Thank you so much, Mahogany. This was fantastic. And it was a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. Okay, friends. I mean, this is a wrap, but man, what an episode, right? Thank you so much for all of you listening here in US, but also in Canada and around the world. I am super, super grateful for you. Wherever you're tuning in from, please do take a moment to subscribe to our podcast to keep updated with all the newest episodes that are coming down the pipeline. And also, if you have just one second, do rate the podcast. I love when I get suggestions for topics. I love when you reach out and tell me that you enjoyed an episode so please keep doing that you can reach to me if you haven't done it before via our instagram account events demystify podcast or via our email podcast at trifanevents.com if you do take a screenshot of your five-star review and you email it to me or dm it to me on instagram or linkedin wherever you find me i have something fun for you and i will personally mail it so that in mind and do stay tuned for our next episodes coming up in the meantime have a fantastic rest of your day until next time